Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. It's a message as we continue with our series, We're Open, and and really, when, when my thoughts and my, uh, my idea of this series of messages for were open started to run in my mind, um, a lot of things transpired in our nation that caused me to start to view things, not differently, but view things um, more, more intentionally. And, and because of that, some of the thoughts and stuff like that has, have taken a, a, a different, it has shifted a little bit. Um, to where we're going and what God is speaking to my heart. Um, I was listening to someone that I love, Chris Volatin, and a lot of what I'm sharing um, was inspired by this, this preacher and, and was taken, and, and yet some of the things that God was showing me. And, and I want to share with you what the Lord was stirring um, in me and through me through this. And I hope that you open up your hearts and you can receive from this as we're talking about we're open. And specifically today, think about this for a moment. What a better time to be open with one another and with our families, with friends, with our church to say more than ever, this is the time that we need to be united. I mean, we've been talking about the the disunity and the the clamor, the the, the fighting, the backbiting that has happened in our nation for years. Um, We don't know if that will ever disappear from here, but... But it should never be so among us, and we should be a light in a very dark and crooked world. We should be the straight, the pathway of straightness in the midst of crookedness. Amen? And I want to speak a little bit about unity. Maybe it's from a different perspective. And I hope you understand this. And, and maybe it'll take to the end to wrap it all together so that we could fully understand it. But join me on this journey. Because the message, we're open... Uh, I can't think of anything else to say but that there's no greater time to be united than now. I think the unity of the church, the unity of the brethren, us together, whether, not just in these walls, that's not what I'm talking about, just our unity um, is a testimony and a preaching to this land. It is a plowing to this land that could produce much fruit. So I want to get into this today and open up your hearts. And I want to ask you this question. Have you ever thought of this and have you ever thought that through the fact that unity has more of a relationship with disagreement than it does with agreement. Many times we think that if we're going to be united, we must always agree. And what we don't recognize that some of the greatest places of unity or some of the greatest relationships in unity are actually found in learning how to honor disagreements. We automatically get offended when someone disagrees with us and not recognize that maybe God has put that person in our lives to make us better and us in their life to make them better because we need our differences and we need to hear each other's disagreements. And if we're mature enough, we'll learn to be united in the disagreement and not divided in it. Think about that for a moment. You know, I could have given you guys a little assignment and said, how many of you would say unity is more about agreement? than it is disagreement. I'm sure many of us would have raised our hand and agreed that it's more on agreement. But the reality is maybe a lot of this relationship of unity deals with this whole aspect of learning how to disagree. And this may be hard for some of us to understand. Why is it hard for us to understand? Well, the culture we live in has made it extremely hard. I feel very sorry. So us parents have such a huge responsibility for the next generation of children because the world that they are going to live in, and I love that the children are sitting in service with us today, by the way. I really love that. I almost feel like, let me not say it, because then, you know, sometimes you say, I should have not said it, but... This is God's good plan for the family. Amen? But, but what I'm saying is like I look at my son and my daughter and I start to think about that and I say, Where, what's the world going to look like for them in 15 years? What's it, what's it going to sound like for them? Who will be president for them in 10 or 15 years? What are the laws that are going to be passed for them? And, 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 and you can't worry and you can't get stressed out. God is in 
control. So what does that mean? That the greatest picture on this earth is family. Why? Because if anyone is going to teach the next generation, it has to start with the family. Because I need to have more authority in those ears and in those hearts than any teacher, any philosopher, and any professor will ever have in their lives. That's the truth. That's the truth. And it's, gonna, it's hard for us, this culture we live in. It's formed by these value systems. And all these value systems are based on agreement. Are based on agreement. For example, look at our very own relationships. For us to get along, we need to agree. For us to be friends, we need to agree. For us to work together, we need to agree. You guys get the point. We just have to always agree and think about today's culture. People connect their very own value by how much they agree with. Or we value others by how much they agree with. And many, what they do is they divide themselves from each other when disagreement comes. When disagreement comes, they say, oh, I got to divide because there's a disagreement. Now there is wisdom and there is knowledge and there is a proper way to disagree. You guys understand what I'm saying? Okay, good. I wanted to make sure you understood that. <clears throat> There's a maturity in the aspect of disagreement. Me and my wife do not agree with everything. There are many things that we cannot disagree with. But if we don't have the maturity to speak through our disagreements, we will no longer be able to be in each other's presence. But it has to get to the point where we could be mature enough and grown enough that we could get through our disagreements. And maybe the end picture will never be agreeing, but learning how to honor each other's disagreeing because it's not a vital thing that is against the word of God. It's just two different views of ways of doing things, seeing things, saying things. And I believe that the reason why many divide in disagreement, it may be because many define or they look at disagreement, and please, you should write this down. So many people look at disagreement, and they look at it, define it as this. It's disloyalty. If you disagree with me, you are disloyal. And that is such a false definition. If you disagree with me, you're not disloyal. And if I disagree with you, I'm not disloyal. I've had, listen, I've had to stop watching a lot of Instagram because some of the people that I love very much that are of, that I love very much. I disagree with a lot of their posts through these last three months. And I disagree with a lot of the things that people are saying. But I'm not going to fight on social media. I'm not going to cause a war because that's not the platform to do it. That would be immature of me. What is that going to solve? I was reading one of two brothers in the faith um, two days ago. And I won't give too much details of who they are. But they were both going at it. One made a statement. The other one went at it. And they both had a total disagreement about what one of them posted. And I was sitting there and I was reading it. And I said, I can't believe I fell into this um, hole. And I was just reading it. And they were going one after another. And it became very entertaining to me. I'm not going to lie to you. But I know both these brothers. Both these brothers were raised by the same spiritual leader. Both these brothers grew in the same church. I know them very well. I've done ministry with both these brothers. And I'm reading them. And at the last statement, after everything was done, I put my phone down. I said, that was the most dumbest thing I've ever read. Nothing got solved. No issue was resolved. It stayed the same. They sounded mad at each other. It doesn't look good going forward. They do not know how to disagree. And they, in their not knowing how to disagree, they use social media as the platform to disagree when they don't know how to disagree. And all it's become is an atomic bomb to let everyone else know that follows them come and join into this party, this fiasco, and let's go to war and let's cause division. But at the end, they both wave the banner which says Jesus Christ. So dumb. I was waiting for you guys to come together to talk like this. But we look at it as disloyal. And if we're going to devalue disagreements, then what happens when we look at unity? Well, we start to look at unity and we start to look at it as one of conformity. And within the kingdom of God, I'm going to 
describe this, and you will see as I wrap up the message, that unity doesn't necessarily have anything to do with conformity. The, the definition for, for conformity is this. It's compliance with standards, rules, laws, behavior in accordance with socially accepted conventions or standards. I know, I read that, I was like, I, I need now a dictionary to define that definition. But, but what this is saying is this, and I want you to see this. See, the kingdom of heaven and this earth are not bound by the same set of rules. That is why when Jesus spoke and he taught in the scriptures, he spoke about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. What does he always say after the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is like. Why? Because those that I'm speaking to have no idea what it's like. It's a set of rules. It's a whole other system that this earth has kind of strayed away from. So Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of heaven and he uses parables so that we could understand the kingdom of heaven. He uses analogies and all sorts of things so that we could understand the kingdom of heaven. What was he doing? He's teaching the dynamics and the laws, the heart of his kingdom. And yet he comes to earth, listen to this, with its differences, with its disagreements. And why does he come to earth with earth's disagreements and differences with who he is? For one purpose, to win and draw man back to the Father. It's insane, the picture of the gospel, the picture of heaven. It's insane when you see it in its totality and its, in, when, in its truth. And that's what he's doing. He, he doesn't come to argue. Necessarily doesn't come to debate. Did you notice that Jesus stands among scholarly people and he's not always debating? These people that love to debate... You know, they have these platforms and they debate, and then it's Christians debating Christians, and all they're doing is dividing Christian camps. I'm so tired of that. I'm tired of this Christian camp and this Christian camp and this Christian camp. And, and then they host these awesome conventions where let's get a bunch of very philosophical, knowledgeable Christians on the stage, and let's let them go at it and divide everyone. That's not heaven. In heaven, there's not platforms to say, hey, grab all of your theologies. Let's throw it out there, and let's divide heaven and all its angels because you're so smart. It's not heaven. That's not the picture of God. That's not the heart of God. Man, Jesus came to earth with all of you in disagreement with the way you were living and with your heart and the way that he knew you would betray him and turn your back on him for one purpose. Though we may disagree with each other's lifestyle, I'll still lay down my life and serve you. That's the heart of heaven. That's the heart of heaven. Lately, when people text me and say, hey, I just want to know what is your theology on this. I'm like, eh, hang up. I, don't, I just don't want to talk to people like that. Because what you're really asking is, let's have a meeting and let's get in a fight with one another. Man, disagree, but learn how to disagree. Learn how to love through the process. We're not, God, when Jesus comes, he doesn't come to argue and fight nor divide, but he comes to unite man back to the Father. And I want you to understand that, and I want you to think about that. In John chapter 3.16, popular verse quoted everywhere. We know it, right? It does not say, it does not say that God agreed with the world, so he sent his son to offer salvation to it. For God so agreed with the world... No, it was for God so loved the world. It's quite the opposite. Paul says in Romans 5.10, you should write this down. What does he say? For if when, listen, when we were sinners, the heart of heaven, the heart of God. For if when we were sinners, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. New Living says it this way. For since our friendship with God has restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies. And L says enemies, where New King James and ESV and stuff like that will say, we were, um, while we were sinners and, and, and defines enemies as sinners. We certainly be saved through the, through the life of his son. I mean, you look at Paul's letter in Roman, and what is he telling the church? What is he telling the listener? That we were considered enemies of God. 
You and I were considered enemies of God. And while we were enemies of God, he doesn't destroy us or divide himself from us. His desire was always to draw us near. Always to draw us near. I mean, my goodness, Adam and Eve fail him and he closed them. What are you doing? Destroy them. You're God. Do it again. But he says, no, I clothed them. Because his heart was never to destroy us. His heart was to unite us. And it's to draw us. So he does the most desperate, the most absurd thing any parent can do. What does he do? This is crazy. He extends an offering. An, e an eternal, inseparable union. Through his son, Jesus Christ. This is, this is what Romans 8.15 says. I'll read it to you. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we now cry, Abba, Father. Amen. Happy Father's Day. He, he now has, has, has given us this offering, which is his son, so that we could have this eternal, inseparable union through him. We did not receive the spirit of a religious duty. We, we did, he doesn't lead us back into fear of, of never being good enough. How many of you are sitting here or watching and you're like, I, I just feel like I'm never good enough. I feel like I, I can never be. That, that's not the heart of God. That's not the rhythm of heaven. It's not that you would have fear to think that you can never be good enough. Instead, it says that we received the spirit of sons. We're a full acceptance. If my son was in dire need, how am I going to really turn my back on him? It's full acceptance, giving us now entrance. Entrance to what as adopted, adopted sons and daughters? Entrance into the family of God that he will never cause us to feel orphaned again. We're not orphaned. We're not orphaned, and, and he now has risen in us. Our spirits join him as his children with tender affection now towards our father. Tender affection. I love, and you've heard me say this, sorry, they're here and I want to bask in it. I love when my son tells me, dad, I went on a cuddle with you. I love when my daughter watches TV and she jumps on top of me and lays and says, coquita, <laughs> tickle me. I love that because what are they saying? Father, I come for what? Tender affection. They see these hands not as one who comes to bring damage, but one that could give coquita, one that could, that one that could please them and honor them. I just want to cuddle with you. That's our favorite moments when our children tell us that. And that is what he's doing through Jesus Christ. He gives us now as sons tender affection towards our father that we could lay on father's lap and say, this was not the movie. Like Jackson just said. That happens too while he's laying on top of me. But coquita. Dad, here I am. Caress me. Love me. And we could cry out, Abba, Father. Beloved Father. So I want you guys on this Father's Day, I would like to suggest this to you. That you would, you should write this down. Purposely, that you would purposely and consistently see God as a good Father. He's a good father. God is not always preaching death and hell. God is not always preaching condemnation. God is not preaching you sin today, you stink, you might, if you die right now, go to hell. Then the cross was empty and it doesn't have power. Your act right now has greater power than his act on the cross. We have to know the heart of God and the heart of God is what? He is a good Abba. He is a good father. You want to know how good he is? Even when his son is not good, he still remains good towards his son. My son gets mad at me, turns his back, and I won't tell you the words he says to me and goes to his room. But very rarely will you see his father say the same words to him, turn their back on him, and walk away from him. There's a difference between the love of the father and what he's drawing the sons to encounter through his love. You guys are understanding this? Come on, that you would purposely, consistently see God as a good father. Understand that. Understand that in complete disagreement with the depravity found in this world, the sickness of sin in this world, 
understand this, that God moves towards us. How many of you are seeing the world today and it's sick? Huh? How many are seeing the world today and it's sad? But do you know what the heart of God is still doing? It's moving towards the world. He sees man in his depravity and he still moves towards the world. In disagreement with the depravity in this world, he still moves towards it. Thank God none of us are God. How many of you, if you were God, you would have sent a meteor shower already on planet Earth? How many, if you were God, would have really taken care of some things with COVID? But he is still drawing near into this world, and he's moving towards. Notice that God never moves away. He is motivated by love. God moves forward in the trying times of unrepented sin and unrepented disgrace, or the word that we're hearing, right? Unrepented injustice. I mean, he is moving forward in trying times. He moves forward in times of utter disagreement. He does not retreat. He never withholds. He is constantly moving to unite us to him. As Volatin puts it, he says, God's driving desire for reconciliation is not conformity. It is the restoration of authenticity that sin attempts to devalue and ultimately destroy, he says. So, so I started to read that and I said, okay, so his desire, his desire is not that we would just be yes people. A green in all things kind of people with each other so that we won't have any problems. That's not his desire for us in our unique differences. Like some of you came in today with certain shoes and do you know that those shoes that you wore today, you thought they were very fly. But there is someone that when you walked in saw your shoe and said, I can't believe that she thought that those shoes were nice. And I can't believe that he thought not everyone is going to agree with you. But you're you, and you wore those shoes today because you like them. There's differences. And God did not create us to live with each other so that we would be yes people and not have any problem. But instead, he wants to restore our authenticity. Do you know when you deal with that restoring our authenticity, do you know what we're talking about now? I'm talking about this deals with our identity. You'll never be authentic if you do not know your identity. Because you always try to be like something else, someone else, because you've never found the identity in the Father. So you always look like false sons and false daughters and never resemble what it looks like to smell, talk, walk, and think like the Father. I don't want to just look like one of his sons. I want to look like him. I want to talk like him. I want to walk like him. But if my eyes are on the wrong thing, if the, if the dumbness is on, I'm, I'm catching myself, there's a lot of underage, you know, and, and all these things, then I have to make sure that, that, man, that's not the stuff that I'm worried about. And that's a battle within every single one of us. It's dealing with our identity. He made us all different, and he wants to what? Properly align, restore. Listen, your differences, your differences, our differences, restore them into what? His holiness. What happens is this. Sin enters our hearts, our lives, and it has a way in distorting and polluting the differences in our authentic identity found in Christ. And sin pollutes, and we begin to divide. Yet, in eternity, we're going to live forever. How crazy is that? How can you divide with someone that you're going to reign in eternity with forever? It does not make sense. It doesn't. The heart of the kingdom, the heart of the Father, we see it revealed and we see it with open doors calling mankind to enter. As Jesus comes and displays it with word, deed, and ultimately by laying down his own life. Amen? All right. Here's my passage and then I'll close. Here's the preaching and then I'll close is what I mean. Mark chapter 2. Are you guys okay? You're having a good time? It's awesome to be back at church. Praise God. So happy to be here with you guys. Mark chapter 2. Can you go there and, and go to verse 13? When you're in verse 13, give me an amen. If, if you haven't been to church in three months and you forgot that you should bring your Bible to church, it's okay. We're going to have church again next Sunday. Bring your Bible. Amen. amen. <laughs> I know 
that some of you got in your car and you're like, what am I forgetting? I'm going to church. What am I forgetting? Am I forgetting something? Because you haven't done it in three months. So you probably forgot your Bible maybe or whatever. But let's get into Mark 2. We'll share it on the screen. All joking aside. And we get these snippets, this insight, this knowledge with encounters like the one that we're going to read here in Mark 2. That Jesus does this. What I just said. The heart of the Father. He does this and we're going to see a snippet of it in Mark 2. It might be a passage that some of you are very familiar with. I think we're going to have a good time with it. It says this in verse 13. It says, Then he went out again by sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, and he's sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and he followed him. Verse 15, Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors, love this part, that many, not few, not a little bit, not a small crowd, many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. Love this part of the verse. For there were many, many, and they followed him. Do you know what that meant? For there are many? It means this, that the tax collectors... And other, like what the New Living calls them, disreputable sinners, there were many of this kind among Jesus' followers. So in the crowds of Jesus, there were many sinners, known sinners. Sinners that you wouldn't get close to them by a 10-foot pole. You know, just like, I don't want to be around that person. Sinners of reputation, Scripture says. Tax collectors, so good. And when the scribes, verse 16, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, saw him eating with these sinners, with these tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, look at the question, ready? How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? What are they really saying? New Living says it this way. Why does he eat with such scum? (laughs) How many of you are happy that Jesus dined with scum one day? I'm happy that he dines with scum one day. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen. So good. So what do we see here? What we see here here is tax collectors and sinners. And they're often grouped together in the scriptures. These groups would be considered outside of God's, what you would say, uh, God's covenant people. Tax collectors and sinners, they're outside of God's people. They are not part of the folds, the sheepfold. And for Jesus to have fellowship with these kind of people would now bring him into conflict with the religious folk, with the religious leader, specifically with the Pharisees. Jesus eating with them, dining with them, drinking with them was now going to bring a problem and a conflict with the Pharisees. You see... Tax collectors and sinners were not to be taught the things of God, what we would call the statute of God. You don't teach it to them. So Jesus, in doing this, what is he doing? He is crossing the border. He is passing the line, the Jewish boundary lines. I want you to understand what is happening here. These are people whose lifestyle, tax collectors and sinners, scum and reputable sinners these are people whose lifestyle does not agree with God's heart does everyone get that Jesus is sitting with people eating with people laughing with people having conversation with people whose hearts are not aligned with his heart their conversations do not mix well with his conversation And he's eating and he's dining and they're not in agreement by heart. People in which do not give off the sound or the aroma of his kingdom. Yet all of his kingdom in one man, Jesus himself, dines with them with these disreputable sinners with this scum on this land. And and the Pharisees question Jesus by asking this deep Thoughtful question, why does he eat with such scum? Your very own questions reveal your very own heart. And Jesus' reply says, those who are well have no need of a physician, of a doctor, but it's those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
There's righteous, there's self-righteous, there's sinners all in this story. <laughs> when he says the righteous, I think that when he said that, he wasn't even talking about the Pharisees. He wasn't talking about the religious leaders because they were not the righteous. They were the self-righteous. So when he says, I didn't come for the righteous, I didn't come to sit with people that have it well because they're mine already. I came for those that needed me. And in that conversation, he wasn't even looking at the Pharisees. He wasn't even looking at the religious leaders because of their own self-righteousness. So what is he saying here? He's saying this, I come to unite not those that I agree with, but those, see, those that I agree with, they are already mine. But I come to unite those I'm in disagreement with. Why? Because they're in need of a physician. They're in need of repentance. He was willing to live life. He was willing to do life with them in the midst of two lifestyles that were in total disagreement with each other in order for one thing to be accomplished. Unity. If I eat with these sinners, I could unite these sinners. Let's do it. Can you think about this for a moment? I want you for a moment here to wait out your heart and your doings with what I'm, ask, what I'm about to ask you. Just think about everything I'm saying. Do you immediately separate yourself from others? Do you immediately disunite with others because of disagreement? I love you. But you're immature. Do you immediately just separate because of disagreement? Because you pointed at it as disloyal. Oh, she's disloyal. He, they, they're, it's disloyal. And you, you did not just honor it. You, you, instead, you run or maybe you ran to division rather than loving and serving in the disagreement so that you could show God's true nature, his heart, and his purpose. That unity comes from the place of honoring the voices of disagreements rather than if they don't conform, then I should have no part of them. If, I, if they don't conform, then I'm just not going to do life with them. And this has, I'm not talking about just church relationships, guys, if you thought that this was about church relationships. I'm, I'm talking about this stuff has destroyed families. Husbands and wives who took a vow to one another, loved each other, had amazing honeymoons, had beautiful kids, walked down the aisle, had celebrated life together from moment to, one moment to another. They had disagreements, and they're separated. This stuff has destroyed families. This stuff has destroyed, I mean, friendships. This stuff has destroyed careers. This stuff has destroyed churches, lives. There, th th there is unity, not, not just in conforming, but listen, in honoring disagreements that could eventually bring light to situations. That those involved would be humble and ever more closely knitted. If I'm disagreeing, we need to be humbled and, and we need to see what God really wants to say. My God, if the world would just listen to this message. Because man... You say one thing, they say another thing, and we are just going to go to war. And we use the platforms that we have, and it's immature. It's foolish. Now more than ever, this is the time to be united. To be closely knitted, and not just to find. If, I, if, I, if you hang out with me, and you intentionally try to look for the things you disagree with, with, you're going to find them right away. Right away. And I'm not hanging out with you so that I could find little things I disagree with. Because I feel like the things that we agree with have a lot more power. And the things that you disagree with, I could learn from. We need to really grow and we need to really be knowledgeable about this and be humble about this and, and mature in my life, I'm learning to honor people when they speak to me and they disagree. Some who are family, some who are in this very place, who have been able to call me, sit with me, and share with me disagreements. And yet today, I'm still friends, I'm still brother, and I still love them. Because I'm learning in my life to honor them in their disagreements with me and still call me friend through it and after it, even if we don't come to the conclusion to agree. And then I've seen myself, I'm just being transparent, I've also seen myself get bothered at times by others who are in disagreement, but yet they don't say anything. And they, instead of saying something and just doing life with us, they eventually just distance themselves or they keep heaviness in their heart. We see that in our families. We see that in our friendships. We see that in this family. 
with the heaviness of our hearts, we just distance ourselves. And, and that stuff is like, no, let's, I'm okay. If you do it maturely and rightly with a good heart, we could really grow together in these things. Man, that's what this world needs to hear. Come on, who are you going to vote for in November? Let's not do that right now. But seriously, whoever you vote in, do you think you're going to agree with everything they're going to do and say? You're not. You're not. I disagree. Listen, I disagree today that one of them always feels like he has something to say. And I disagree that the other one says things and he forgets what he's even saying. So at the end of the day, I'm not going to win with any of those guys. <laughs> None of those guys are my solution. <laughs> one thought his wife was his sister. And the other one may think that he's God. I don't know. I'm not going to win with any of them. I'll tell you in the parking lot who I'll vote for. But who cares? Because I'm going to find disagreement in both of them. You guys understand that? Come to my house to dinner. Some of you guys will look at my house. Let me see what he has here. Let me see what he's going to do. You're going to find things you disagree with. But we have to learn. We've got to grow up. Amen? Not separate and divide. So what's happening here is he's demonstrating. And what is he demonstrating? That he needed to love and he needed to serve. He needed to serve, what? Through the disagreements so that he could win them. Say so he could win them. He was not in agreement with their life. You think Jesus, you think Jesus sitting there is like, wow, I'm so happy to hang out with you guys. And, you know, I just agree. No, he was in disagreement with their lives. Disagreement. Honor. There, there is unity, not just in conforming, but in honoring dis dis disagreements. There is unity in disagreeing. You should write that down. There is unity in disagreeing. There is unity in disagreeing. But he was demonstrating something so important that he needed to love and serve through disagreements so that he could win them. You guys, us with our families, with our friends, with our coworkers, you know who it is that uh, edges you on. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Ready? You need to what? You need to demonstrate love and service through the disagreements you have with people so that eventually God may open up the door so that you could win them. Not separate, not divide because that's not what he did. He, not just feast with those that were righteous only. Not just feast with those that just think like us, act like us, like the things we like. How boring would life would be? Life would be. I want to learn new things. I want to hear new things. I want to. Yesterday, Adrian was talking to me about stocks. I have no idea what Adrian was saying to me. And then I found out that your slang is into that stuff too. And I'm like, oh no, another person that's into it. I have no idea. And they were trying to show me through the thing. And it was like another language. And I just walked out. I'm like, I don't agree with that. I don't get anything he just told me. But I could learn from that. All right, that was just a little dumb thing. But what is he doing? What is Jesus doing? He's uniting through the disagreement. See, with the unrighteous, the sick... He's doing this so that they can see my love, he says. See, I wrote this down. I'm going to read it how I wrote it. It says, but with the unrighteous the sick so that they can see my love even though these are two lives that are in total disagreement towards one another, they'll still see my love in it. What is he doing? And now is when I come close to my end. He's doing only what he sees the Father doing. John 5.19 says this, so Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, Jesus says the son does. That right there is one of the most important verses I shared today. John 5.19. Because I like to say this again, that you would purposely and consistently see God as a good father. That even though there may be dis differences and disagreements between you two, his main desire is still to unite with you. 
Jesus says here that he does as the Father does. He was demonstrating how things worked inside the kingdom of God and through the heart of God. So let me be clear. Jesus does not conform to sinners so that he could relate and ultimately convince them with his truth. His compassion even with the woman at the well. Think about that. His compassion with the woman caught with adultery. What does he tell them? Go and sin no more. He tells them both. And it proves that. See, Jesus, the spotless lamb of God, doesn't agree with sin in hopes to convince. Rather, he listens to the heart and reveals who the true sinner is. It's God's child. I'm not here just to agree with your sin, but I'll listen to you so that you could see my heart through it, so that you could see that the sinner here, the problem here is not Jesus who stands before you. The problem here is your heart and your sin. And he does that with people. He's always done that. He's done that with me. If this is God's heart, I ask this question as we wrap this up. What is your heart? What is our heart? How many of you right away would say, well, I'm not God? Well, you're, you're his son. <laughs> you carry his name. So you better start being like Abba, becoming like Abba. Well, you're asking me to be something that I'm never called to be. Well, do you know that's totally against the word of God? <laughs> that's totally against the word of God. When you stand before him, he'll recognize you as son. He'll recognize you as daughter. You're going to stand before him and say, oh, I could have never been your son and your daughter. It was a too hard of a task. And we miss the whole heart of it because we continually think that it's about what we can do and not before Abba what we can become. I want to share it's a lot of what Valentin, how he makes his point here and then we'll go. He says this. Quote, you don't have to conform to their way of thinking or convince them to think like you in order to love and value them. The beauty discovered in choosing a relationship in disagreement is that you don't have to conform to me, nor do I have to conform to you in order for, in order for us to both have value and deserve love. Romans 12 makes this distinction by pointing out that believers are individually members of one another. That's, that's some freaky stuff right there. We are members of one another. Oh, that's that family over there. Oh, that's this family. No, no, we are members of one another. In fact, within the kingdom of God, unity is the celebration of diversity. I propose it will be impossible to experience unity with one another if our value system is based on an agreement and not on the reality that we are distinctly unique children of God, end quote. So what am I going to close with? I close with this. Some of us, whether it's with God, whether it's with friends, here with each other, with those you live with, family, maybe we may be at unrest. Maybe there's tension. How many of you have tension with someone? Unrest with someone? Was it because of a disagreement? Was it handled with maturity or immaturity? And you're here and you're filled with tension. If, I, if that person just... You don't have the heart of God. Look at the days that we're living in. It's scary. You can't share your perspective. You can't share your view. It even bothers some of us to hear the perspective of others. To hear what other people have to say. Listen, the truth is, church, everyone doesn't have to agree. We don't have to convince everyone that we're right. And we don't have to convince everyone that they're wrong. How about if all of this has nothing to do with conformity, but rather it's about humility. It's about drawing near to the one. And that's a uppercase O there. 
the one whom we placed our trust. It's about seeing the one in one another, even in our disagreements. Maybe right now all you need to know is that you can trust God. And all you need to do is love people regardless of how wrong or how right they are. So I repeat this question that I started with. Have you ever thought through the fact that unity has more of a relationship with disagreement than it does agreement? So we're open. Like we're open today, but we're open individuals. Not so that it all goes your way. I'm not open so that everything could go my way. That it all agrees with my thoughts. That my way is noticed and taken by everyone. No, we're open. We're open to love and unite in what seems to be dividing our world today. I know we're just a small minute, not even a raindrop, a, maybe not even a ring of the ripple effects of ripple effects in the pool. I don't know how insignificant or significant we are. I don't know. But I think there is some significance before the presence of God. I think in every single one of our bubbles and every single one of our influences and all that, I mean, you never know who the next person is going to be. I mean, I mean, we're open and we are to love and unite and, 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 and that's what we are, you know. To not what's dividing our world. Think about the things that are dividing our world. We're to love and unite those things. Those things that are dividing and so sickening. I'm tired of it. How many of you are just like, I can't even watch the news. I don't even turn on the TV anymore. Why? Because you've gotten sick. You're fed up with the things that are dividing the world. But love and unite those things. The things that are dividing the churches today. The things that are dividing families today. We're different. Let the ripple effect begin. We're open and let it have an impact. Let unity come through our love and our service towards these people that are dividing one another. Remember John 5.19, the very important verse I shared? So Jesus said, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does. I challenge you to do this. Apply that scripture to yourself for a moment. Because the Bible says that through him, many more sons and daughters came. We went into that passage last week. So you can say this passage. Because you're a son and you're speaking about your father. So I would like to ask you, would you be able to take this passage for yourself today and where Jesus is speaking about himself, can you put your name there? I'm going to do it. Watch this. John 5, 19. So Rigo explained, I tell you the truth, Rigo can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. And whatever the Father does, Rigo also does. Would you be able to do that today? To be that ambassador, the influence of this world, the Father's heart on this world. So our world, our relationships, our families, our church, so all of these components would be forever transformed. Forever transformed. So all I could say is that there is no greater time to be united than right now, this very day. Be aware of unity, fight for unity, fight through the unity, love and serve. We're open. How many of you could say amen? Come on, can you stand with me? Stand with me right there where you're at. If you're watching at home, I want you right there just to open up your heart. If you want to stand with us, stand with us at home. And Hallelujah. I want you to examine your heart real quick. I want you to examine your deeds. I want you to examine your relationships. Where are you? Come on, I want you to examine the tension. Think about everything I shared. We shared a lot of information today, but what applies right now? 
Is there need of growth? Can you be open to unity? Is, is this something that the Holy Spirit needs to do a work in? Come on, right there where you're at, can you begin to open up your heart? Maybe you're here and just want to lift up your hands with me and say, Lord, here I am, I surrender. Lord, I give myself fully to you that I would continue to live in unity. That, Lord, that I would honor disagreements and that disagreements would bring forth greater change and growth. That, Lord, I would not constantly look at people's disagreements and actually define that as disloyal, but honor that and see how I could learn and grow from that. That, Lord, I too would be mature enough to be able to confront and to speak about disagreements and to do it with the heart of God in the timing of God. Not so that we could be divided or that I could be divided with that group or with that person, but so that we could bring a greater unity between us. That you would knit up this house, that this nest, Lord, I think about the name of our church, a nest. There is no life that can live in the nest if every limb of branch is not knitted together and united every single one creates that home so that those birds could finally become what they were called to be. So Lord, I call this nest, prophetically I speak over it, that it would be different branches from different trees. But yet, Lord God, we're knitted together in love and in service. And every single one twined together and twined together makes forth this beautiful home, this nest, so that when they look inside the nest, the things that are found in the nest that have been woven together is nothing but life life and life abundance that we would hear the chirping and the sounds of the life that's inside that that which is inside would be able to fly out to this world and become a hope and a life a living creature in a dying world i pray for this nest with every branch woven together with every difference lord some of us are thorny some of us are smooth some of us have ridges some of us have different curves some of us are straight some of lord so many different things that you would wove us together that we'd be the nest Lord that we'd be the nest Lord that we'd be a people united and learning to love and serve through disagreements Lord that we would be the sons and daughters of God that many would look into the nest and say there is life life abundance and there there they're made ready and humbled to change the world to transform the world because of the things that happen in that place in that family in that unit hallelujah lord so lord we love you and we thank you strengthen every person here that this message was for and let them grow and mature from it those that are watching same lord let them grow from it thank you lord for you you are Father. You are a great Father. You are a good Father. And we honor you today. And I pray that there are fathers that are here and that are watching or that will hear this or watch this. And that they will learn. That they will learn what it means to be Father. That this message would mean something to them to become better fathers. Greater dads than ever before. Thank you for such a beautiful, beautiful day. I pray, Lord God, that we would have an amazing rest of this day. Keep us safe, Lord. Protect us. Cover us. Keep us healthy. We love you. We honor you today. In Jesus' name. And together, Nest, we say, Amen. Come on, give God some praise. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. He is worthy. Amen.